Uh, Tonight we're going to study chapter 9 of the Gospel of John. And the chapter deals with Jesus healing a blind man. And as I thought about this blind man, I began to think about blindness and some types of blindness. There's a physical blindness in which a person cannot see totally or partially uh, because of some form of sickness or disease or maybe from a car accident. Uh, There's congenital blindness in which a person is born blind due to a defect inherited from their parents or uh, due to a malformation in their development. And there's also spiritual blindness where a person either cannot see Christ because she has not been exposed to the spiritual things revealed in God's word or because a person refuses to believe in Christ and the authority of his word. And in tonight's study, we're going to see a couple of those forms of blindness. But before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' mighty name, Lord. And we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this study, Lord. I pray that you would just use it, Father, to minister to our hearts. Change us, Lord. Help us not to be like those Pharisees, Father, but give us humble and Um, willing spirits to do your will father be with us tonight help us to lay aside the concerns of the day lord and just to sit at your feet and to drink in all that you have for us this evening we thank you and we praise you in jesus name amen so as we go through john chapter 9 we're going to look at three aspects of the blind man first we're going to see the healing of the blind man Then we're going to see the interrogating of the healed man. And third, we're going to see the seeking of the healed man. So let's first look at the healing of the blind man in verses 1 to 12. Verses 1 to 2 says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, notice, first of all, that chapter 9 begins the same way that chapter 8 ends. At the end of uh, chapter 8, the Jews had taken up stones to throw at Jesus for blasphemy because he proclaimed himself to be God when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. And verse 59 tells us, But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And verse 1 of chapter 9 says, so this, um, it says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. So this is the same day that Jesus was teaching in the temple. And as he passed by the angry crowd who wanted to kill him, he takes the time to notice a blind beggar on the side of the road. And it's interesting that this blind beggar doesn't call out to Jesus as some others had done. But Jesus notices him. And it made me think, you know, what a compassionate Lord we serve. He loves us so much that he notices even the things that we do not bring to him. 
Psalm 86:15 says, "But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth." And Peter exhorts us to be like Jesus. In 1 Peter 3:8, he says, "Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as sisters, be tender-hearted, be courteous." So Jesus notices the blind beggar, and his disciples in verse 2, noticing the blind beggar, asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And again, I found it interesting that Jesus noticed this blind man out of compassion and not of a desire to heal him. But the disciples didn't seem to show any interest in helping the man. They were just curious to discover the cause for his condition. Perhaps they asked the question because there were various erroneous beliefs that were widely held. One stated that suffering, and especially so grave a malady as blindness, was due to sin, either of the one suffering or of his parents. And this same belief was expressed by the men who went to comfort Job in his affliction. You know, they too thought that Job's suffering was a consequence of some sin that he had done. But if you remember from studying the book of Job, uh, his calamities were not uh, due to God's judgment for a sin that he had done, but rather Satan was afflicting him in order to prove to God that Job would curse him to his face when faced with a lot of hardships. Another erroneous belief was the idea adopted from Plato, who was a Greek philosopher. And it stated that people pre-existed as spirits and were waiting for bodies. And those pre-existent souls could sin. And interestingly enough, the Jewish sect called the Essenes believed in this. Another erroneous belief was the belief in some kind of reincarnation, wherein because a person sinned in a previous life, the result was pain and suffering in this life. Another erroneous belief was prenatal sin, which said that a child could sin while still in the womb. So if a person was born blind due to sin, then it meant that he must have sinned some time before he was born. A final erroneous belief was that any suffering or pain was for a sin that a person would commit later in his life. (laughs) I'm just like, wow. But in verses 3 and 4, thank God, Jesus corrects all the erroneous beliefs by saying neither this man nor his parents sinned. And um, it's important to note here that the punctuation and the verses and the chapter breaks in the Bible were not the doing of the Holy Spirit, but of man, as Pastor X has told us many times. And most commentators think that a period should come after the word sin, and then a new sentence begins with the rest of the verses. So it would be, neither this man nor his parents sinned, period but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. The night is coming when no one can work. 
In other words, God did not will this man to be blind from birth so that Jesus could do a miracle in him. His blindness was due to our fallen nature, due to the sin of Adam, which causes us to be subject to disease and sorrow and death. God didn't will the the, uh, blindness, but Jesus, out of compassion, took the opportunity of the situation to work the works of God. And Jesus said that he must do these works while it was still day, referring to the short time that he had left in his ministry. And at this time, he only had six months before his crucifixion. In chapter 8, Jesus boldly proclaimed that he is the light of the world, and anyone who follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And now here in verse 5, Jesus says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus, the light of the world, is about to bring light by way of sight to this beggar man who has lived in total darkness all of his life. Verses 6 and 7 says, When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, it's interesting to note two things here. First, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus heals a congenital malady. And the second thing is that Jesus never heals in the same way twice. For this blind man, he spit on the ground, he made clay, he anointed his eyes, and he told him to go wash. Another time, noted in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus healed two blind men by merely touching their eyes. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus healed another man by spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him twice. And I believe, as many commentators, that Jesus found it important to change his method of healing so that no one could ever make a formula of the methods because he wanted people to know that God was the reason, God was the power in the healing and not a formula. Another interesting thing to note was that Saliva as a medicine upon the eyes was not so strange in the ancient world. One commentator I read noted that spittle, and especially the spittle of some distinguished persons, was believed to possess certain curative qualities. And I was curious, so I looked it up. (laughs) And I wondered whether spit had any curative qualities, and you know, it does. Scientists have found that spit has proteins, which has antibacterial qualities and can promote faster healing. Spit also helps to keep our mouths clear of any infections. You know, how many times when we get a paper cut, first thing we do is stick it in our mouth. We might be promoting more healing without realizing it. But you won't want to spit in a large open wound, okay? That will probably do more harm than good. But I remember when I was a child, 
My mother would tell me to put my spit on a mosquito bite. I didn't know why, but I did it. And I don't know if it helped, but that's what she told me to do. And my mother also used spit as soap and water. You know, if my face were dirty and we're going someplace, man, come here. Yeah, that's better. Or if my hair was sticking up. There you go. And you moms that are laughing, I bet you still do it. But anyway, back to the healing. In verse 6, we're told that Jesus spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, many commentators believe that the making of this clay symbolized the creation of man. Just as God used the dust of the ground and clay to do a work in the creation in Genesis, so Jesus did a work of creation with the dust and the clay for this man. In verse 7, Jesus told the blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now the water for the pool of Siloam came through Hezekiah's tunnel, which is a a remarkable feat of engineering. Um, And it was built back in the Old Testament times. And it was named Siloam, which meant sent, because the water in it had been sent through the tunnel into the city, according to the commentator Barclay. Now, John, in his gospel, also refers to Jesus as having been sent by the Father. He's, he's said that several times. And now an incurable congenital blindness was about to be healed by Jesus the one who was sent. Verse 7 also states that the blind man went and washed as Jesus had commanded him, and it took faith and obedience on the part of the blind man to do what Jesus commanded him because, if you notice, Jesus didn't promise a result from the washing. He just told him to go do it. But because of his faith and obedience, the man came back seeing. And in this seemingly impossible healing, Jesus once again reveals himself as God and Messiah. For one of the signs of the Messiah was that he would give sight to the blind. Psalm 146, 8 says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And in Isaiah 35, 5, after saying that God as Savior will come to save his people, the prophet says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Now, I love the scene in verses 8 and 9 because I found it rather humorous and filled with so much joy. You know, apparently, many people were familiar with this blind beggar, and when he came back from the pool of Siloam seeing, those who knew him began saying, Hey, isn't that the guy who sat and begged there by the side of the road? And some people said, yeah, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy. And then others said, well, he looks like the guy. And the beggar, I can just see him going, yeah, it's me. It's really me. You know, and I can only imagine the joy and the amazement that this healed beggar must have experienced because this was the first time ever that he saw people 
and nature and everything around him. You know, it must truly have been a wow moment for him. Verses 10 to 12 says, Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and I received sight. And then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. So here the people began to inquire as to how he received his sight. And he gives faithful witness to the work of Jesus. But when asked where he was, he said he didn't know. But one important thing to note in the verses is the beginning of the progressive revelation of Jesus to this man. You know, all he knew at this point was that a man named Jesus made clay, anointed his eyes, told him to go wash. And after he washed, he received his sight. That's all he knew. He didn't even know what Jesus looked like. And that's all he needed to know for the time being. So now let's look at the interrogating of the healed man in verses 13 to 34. Verses 13 to 16 say, They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. And others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So the people took the healed man before the Pharisees because they were the spiritual leaders. And the man had been miraculously healed on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees asked the man how he received his sight. And he told them very simply, he put clay on my eyes, I washed and I see. But this caused a division among the Pharisees. Some of them argued that Jesus was not from God because Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath. You see, Jesus broke their man-made additions to the law of Moses, which the Jews had invented. They went way beyond the law, trying to break it down into minute little things. And he broke their laws regarding working on the Sabbath in three ways. First, by making clay on the Sabbath, which was a breach of their prohibition to knead on the Sabbath. He had to mix the the saliva and the clay that was kneading, that was prohibited. By placing clay on the blind man's eyes was a breach of the regulation which prohibited anointing. Again, that was work. And then by healing on the Sabbath, which was forbidden unless it was to save somebody's life. And it's sad to note that you know, the Pharisees cared more about their rules and their regulations than about rejoicing over this blind man who had received his sight. Also, as much as they claimed to know the, world, the word of God, which at this time was only the Old Testament, they should have instantly recognized that the opening of the eyes of the blind was a messianic activity. In the Old Testament, there are no stories of sight being restored to the blind. 
But there are numerous verses that show that only the Lord can cause the blind to see and that the Messiah, who is Lord, would do this. For example, Isaiah 29:18 says, In that day, referring to the day when Messiah comes, the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. It's also interesting to note that of all the recorded miracles that Jesus performed, giving sight to the blind was done more than any other type of healing. And because of all of this, the Pharisees should have concluded that Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't. Some others of the Pharisees countered by asking, well then, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? If he wasn't from God, how could he perform such a great miracle? In John 3, uh, verse 2, Nicodemus said the same thing to Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. But the arguments continued and the Pharisees were divided. So then in verse 17, the Pharisees again turned to the healed man and asked him, What do you say about Jesus? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, he's a prophet. Now here we see the next step of the revelation of Jesus to this man. First, Jesus was just a man, and now he's a prophet. His his understanding had grown about Jesus, and he was able to make this declaration. He was a prophet, a person sent by God to do the works of God. In verses 18 to 23, which we will not read, the Pharisees interrogate the healed man's parents because they don't believe that he was blind from birth. You see, it was easier for them to believe that the man was never really blind than to believe that Jesus healed him. And so the parents, in their interrogation, they confirmed to the Pharisees several facts. Yes, this indeed is their son. Yes, he was born blind. Now he sees, but how this happened, we don't know. Who opened his eyes, we don't know. But he is of age, so they tell the Pharisees to ask him, and he can speak for himself. Now, the, Pharisees, uh, the parents didn't want to rock the boat with the Pharisees because they feared them. And they knew that the Pharisees had already declared that if anybody said that Jesus was the Messiah, they would be cast out of the synagogue. And being permanently cast out of the synagogue involved being cursed before people and being cut off from all social interaction. The parents didn't want it. Um, didn't want that to happen. So basically, they kind of threw it back on their son. So in verses 24 to 34, the Pharisees interrogate the healed man a second time. And verse 24 says, So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Now in saying, Give God the glory, the Pharisees were not praising the Lord. Okay, understand that. Give God the glory, that phrase 
uh, was used as a form of swearing in, like we do in a, in a courtroom. It was a form of being put under oath to tell the truth. This phrase was also used by Joshua in Joshua 7:19, when Joshua was urging Achan to tell the truth about what he had stolen. So here the Pharisees were urging this healed man to tell the truth about Jesus, and they were actually attempting to have him agree with them that he was a sinner. But in verse 25, the healed man answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. You know, this should have been a very clear explanation and an irrefutable argument. But the Pharisees continued in their quest to denounce Jesus. So in verse 26, they again ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, this was about the third or fourth time that this poor guy has been interrogated. And he must have been fed up by now. <clears throat> and I'm sure that all he wanted to do was go see whatever he could see. But, you know, they kept just messing with him. And so uh, <clears throat> what they were trying to do, the Pharisees were trying to find a flaw in their testimony. And so they kept asking him over and over again. So in verse 27, he tells the Pharisees, I told you already, and you did not listen. And then he hits the Pharisees right in their pride. And he says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? Kapow. <laughs> and intending to or not, the healed man not only mocked their prejudiced rejection of Jesus, but in a way, he proclaimed himself to be a disciple. In verses 28 and 29, <clears throat> it says, Then they reviled him. And this means to criticize in an abusive and angrily insulting manner. And they said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow... We do not know where he is from. And here again, Pharisees just couldn't keep from displaying their proud arrogance and their prejudiced contempt against Jesus. And in verses 30 to 33, the healed man will give the Pharisees, in an equally sarcastic manner, a little theology lesson. And he's going to mention three things. First, the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he's from, yet he has opened my eyes. You know, the, the Pharisees were the spiritual leaders of Israel, and they should have been looking for the Messiah. And the healing of the blind man should have been a huge sign. But they were too busy wanting people to look at them. They were so filled with pride and self-righteousness that they were blinded to the arrival of the Messiah. You know, you can't look up if you're looking inward. If you're always looking in that mirror at yourself, you cannot look up. Psalm 10, verse 4 says, The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. 
The second thing, the blind man, uh, the healed man uh, taught them. He said, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anybody is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Now, some say that this is not a scriptural truth, that God does not hear sinners. But it is stated several times in the Bible. For example, Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Proverbs 28, 9 says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. But God does hear the prayer of the sinner for repentance and salvation. Remember the man who uh, was a sinner and he went into the temple and he bowed his head and he didn't even want to look up at, at God and he just beat his breast and he just kept saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And remember Jesus said that that man went to his house justified. God did hear his prayer of sorrow and repentance. God also hears those who worship him and do his will. In 1 John 5.14, talking to believers, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The third thing the man told the uh, Pharisees um, in verses 32 and 33 was, Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And you know, we have to admit, this beggar might have been blind, but he was not dumb. And he was not ignorant of the word of God. <clears throat> and so again, he reiterates what the other Pharisees had countered with, that if Jesus were a sinner, how could he do such a miracle? And as expected, these proud and arrogant Pharisees become indignant, and they say to the man in verse 34, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. You know, the Pharisees utterly reject this man's valid arguments, and they declare that he was born in sins, and they rebuked him for daring to try to teach them. How could he? And so they cast him out of the synagogue, excommunicating him from fellowship. But you know, his excommunication turned out to be a blessing because shortly he's going to be so very closely connected to the Lord. And I think that we need to ask ourselves, do I have a teachable spirit? Or as a Christian, do I think that I know it all when it comes to the scriptures. Do I look down with disdain at others who know less than me? Do I come across as proud or arrogant when I speak to others about the word or my faith? 
Paul exhorted the Romans in Romans 12:16. He said, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Proverbs 16, 5 says, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this brings us to our third section, the seeking of the blind man in verses 35 to 41. Now, verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? Now, notice that once again, Jesus seeks out the man when he hears of the injustice done to him. And it reminded me of the Lord when he spoke through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 34, 12. It says, as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a dark and cloudy day. As a good shepherd, Jesus was always seeking out the lost. And chapter 9 is kind of a, um, a springboard to chapter 10, which will talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. And then Jesus asked the healed man a pivotal question. He says, do you believe in the Son of God? And here Jesus is calling upon this healed man for a commitment to believe in him as Messiah. And we know this because the term Son of God and Son of Man both refer to Jesus as Messiah. And then in verses 36 to 38, it tells us that the healed man answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So here we see the final step in the revelation of Jesus to this man. You know, first the heal man acknowledged him as a man, then as a prophet, and now as Messiah. And the word for worshipped here is the Greek word proskunio, which means to prostrate oneself before a superior and kiss the feet in adoration and reverence. You know, no man or angel in the Bible received the worship of man. But Jesus accepted this healed man's worship. And this is another proof that Jesus was and is God. Verse 39 says, And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Now, the judgment that Jesus is talking about here refers to the judgment that brings about division. You see, every person must decide who Jesus is and either accept him or reject him. Those who accept him are those who will admit to their spiritual blindness and will find spiritual sight when they willingly become open to the light and truth of God especially as it's revealed through his word and especially through Jesus. 
And those who reject him are those who think they see spiritually, but refuse to be open to the light and truth of God, and so will remain spiritually blind. And this principle is found throughout the scriptures. For example, in Matthew eleven twenty five, Jesus had just rebuked the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, yet they would not repent. And so he says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. And in Matthew 25, 14, Jesus says to his disciples about the Pharisees, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And then the chapter ends with verses 40 and 41, which say, Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So here the Pharisees are offended at what Jesus said. And they ask him sarcastically, are we blind also? You see, the Pharisees claim to have superior knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. But they could not see because they refused to see that the promised Messiah was right in front of them all this time. They were blinded by their pride, by their self-righteousness, by their tradition, and by their false interpretation of the word of God. And so Jesus tells them, if they were physically blind, they would have no sin. But having seen all that happened to this blind man, and having rejected it by their physical eye, they remain in their sin. You see, there's a great difference between someone who is blind and knows it, and someone who simply shuts their eyes. And there's a saying, there are none so blind as those who will not see. And that was the condition of the Pharisees. You know, the story of the healing of the blind man is our story too. We're all spiritually uh, blind from birth. And then Jesus seeks us out and he takes the initiative to call us to himself And he uses a person or an event or a book or some form of media. And he may be calling somebody here tonight through this study. And then when we allow him, he begins to heal us. And he does a work of new creation in us. And then Jesus commands us to be washed in the waters of baptism. And then we pass from a little knowledge of Jesus to a greater knowledge as we study God's word, as we come to church and are fed spiritually. And then as we remain close to him, as we abide in him, we become strengthened in him. And our lives begin to testify to his work in our hearts. We'll bear fruit and that fruit will be visible And all this results in a desire to walk in obedience to his commands and to worship and adore him more and more. And 
It's interesting that the name of the blind man was never given. But that's not the important thing. <clears throat> the important thing that is that the whole chapter was about Jesus. It's all about him. He's all in the word. As he even declared that he is in the Old Testament, he's in the New Testament. He's all through it. So may the Lord continue to do a mighty work in our lives. And may we ask the Lord every day to keep pride and self-righteousness and arrogance out of our minds and our hearts so that we can always be humble and teachable and forgiving. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful chapter, Lord. Thank you for showing us once again that you are creator, you are healer, Lord, you are everything we need. And Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you, that you would draw her to yourself, that she would know that nothing is impossible with you, and that you just want to seek them out, Lord, that you want to have a personal relationship with them. And for us who do know you, Lord, help us to walk um, more humbly with you, Lord. Help us to seek to obey and to seek to abide. Lord, help us to desire to grow and to be loving and kind to one another, Lord. I pray that you would just take away any arrogance, Lord, any pride from our hearts, from our speech, from our sight. Lord, cleanse us and help us. Help us to be grateful. Help us to have those attitudes of gratitude, Lord. So we love you. We thank you for this word. Continue to minister it to it. Minister it to our hearts, Father, and to our lives. And we ask for traveling mercies as we go home, Father. And uh, we just thank you. We love you so much, Lord. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.